Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today we're going to take a look at headline news for the first couple of segments and then we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news and James Blend will join me for just that. And in the second hour of today's program, the Christian Outlook. Don Crow will talk with Cliff May of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies about the competition between the United States and China and that it's uh, clear that China is moving boldly and aggressively forward on their plans to lead on the world stage. You'll also hear from Bob Bernie as he talks about a University of Pennsylvania swimmer who's been smashing women's records. The issue is that the swimmer is a biological male competing as a woman. And Eric Metaxas will talk with Alex Berenson, former New York Times reporter, about the divisions caused by lockdowns, mask and vaccine mandates, school closures and the loss of trust in our public health authorities. All of that coming up in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show, The Christian Outlook. But first, some of the day's headlines. Well, the Supreme Court today, this morning, ruled that a lawsuit by abortion providers against Texas over its abortion law may proceed, despite arguments by Texas that the way the law was written made it so that parties could not sue against the law until it was enforced. Well, the court concludes that the petitioners may pursue a pre-enforcement challenge against certain um, of the named defendants, but not others, the court led by Justice Neil Gorsuch said. Well, the court also let the law remain in effect pending the legal challenges. Well, the ruling is procedural. It will not be the final word on the law's constitutionality. Well, the petitioners then filed a request for injunctive relief with the court seeking emergency re- uh, resolution of their application ahead of the law's approaching effective date, the court said. In the abbreviated time available for review, the court concluded that the petitioner's filings failed to identify a basis in existing law that could justify disturbing the Fifth Circuit's decision to deny injunctive relief. Well, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, Samuel Alito, and Brett Kavanaugh um, backed in full. The Texas law bans abortion after six weeks of pregnancy and uses a unique system to enforce that ban, allowing private individuals to bring suit in state court against people who allegedly perform abortions outside the law. The court allowed the Texas law to remain in effect while it heard a challenge about whether parties may bring suit against it before the state has actually taken enforcement actions consistent with that law. Again, this was more of a procedural decision and the decision on whether or not the law itself can stand uh, remains yet in the future. In other news, an appellate court in London on Friday overturned a lower court's ruling from earlier this year and opened the door for Julian Assange to be extradited to the United States to face espionage charges. An appeal is almost certain in the case that has attracted international attention. Assange detractors see him as a traitor over the WikiLeaks publication of thousands of leaked military and diplomatic documents a decade ago. His supporters see his imprisonment as an affront against the free press. A lower court judge refused an American request to extradite Assange to the U.S. to face spying charges. A judge said Assange, now 50, who is currently being held at London's high security of Belmarsh prison, could kill himself if held under harsh U.S. prison conditions. Well, an attorney for the U.S. government who appealed the decision denied that Assange's mental health was too fragile to withstand the U.S. judicial system and even assured the court that the uh, any sentence handed down could be carried out in an Australian prison. Well, the appeals will likely end up in the Supreme Court. 
Well, Stella Morris, Assange's fiance, told reporters that his legal team would appeal the court's decision. Reuters reported, uh, she said, how can it be fair? How can it be right? How can it be possible to extradite Julian uh, to the very country which plotted to kill him? She said, we will appeal this decision at the earliest possible moment. Well, at the request of multiple Republican senators, the Democrats fighting to advance President Biden's Build Back Better plan, the gargantuan reconciliation package that creates and expands a boatload of social programs, obtained a modified budgetary effects score from the Congressional Budget Office today. The office most recently uh, most recent analysis, I should say, finds that if major provisions of the Build Back Better plan were not embedded with sunset clauses and were made permanent, which Republicans argue is the Democrats' hidden intention, the bill would add $2.8 trillion more to the national debt over the next decade than the original CBO score projected. In response to the new score, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham slammed what he said were misleading tactics by the Democrats to attempt to mute the true budget burden of Build Back Better. Uh, they put a sunset on the program. It is to lower uh, the, the reason for that is to lower the cost. It's a budget gimmick. It's going to be a death blow to our economy, he said. Well, the first CBO score calculated that Biden's multi-trillion dollar agenda would add $367 billion to the deficit over 10 years. Later expected to be cut nearly in half by enhanced IRS tax enforcement, though many experts remain skeptical that stepped-up enforcement will yield significant revenue. Well, this assessment came after the president and other Democrats drilled home the talking point that the plan would cost zero dollars. My Build Back Better Act is going to reduce the deficit by more than a hundred billion dollars over 10 years, the president has boasted. Well, on November 19th, the House passed a negotiated and slightly trimmed version of the spending bill along party lines. It's since been suspended in partisan gridlock in the Senate with the two moderate Democratic holdouts, Senators Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin still expressing strong reservations about its size and scope, as well as long-term implications for the U.S. fiscal house. Their fears that the package could fuel unchecked inflation are likely to be exacerbated after Friday. Well, last month, Republican lawmakers such as Senator John Cornyn um, asked the CBO and Joint Committee on Taxation to publish a score of the legislation that would assume every program would remain in place indefinitely rather than uh, be phased out gradually. I am concerned that the CBO score of H.R. 5376 is artificially low because of a number of timing gimmicks. Specifically, the legislation includes a number of arbitrary sunsets and expirations of several expensive programs, which disguise the true cost of making these policies permanent. He wrote to the CBO director and the chief of staff of the JCT, echoing many of the GOP challenges and his colleagues. While Democrats scorned the Republicans' request, accusing them of creating a political spectacle and distraction, the agencies technically work for Congress and are therefore obliged to generate specific reports to members. Well, the New York City Council on Thursday passed a bill that would, in fact, allow an estimated 800,000 non-citizens to vote in municipal elections. The measure passed in a 33 to 14 vote with two abstentions and will become law unless Mayor Bill de Blasio steps uh, steps in and vetoes the bill, though he has said he does not plan to do so. Even if the Democratic mayor has a chance, or rather a change of heart, there was enough support on the council to override a veto. However, New York Republicans have threatened to challenge the bill, which they believe may be unconstitutional. And de Blasio has warned that the bill is unlikely to survive a legal challenge. 
The measure would allow non-citizens to vote for mayor, city council members, and other municipal office holders, but would not allow them to vote in federal elections, such as for president or members of Congress, or in state elections that elect the governor, judges, and legislators. Well, the move will allow non-citizens who have been lawful permanent residents of the city at least 30 days, as well as those authorized to work in the U.S. and DACA recipients to vote in municipal elections. If the measure becomes law, the Board of Elections would be tasked with um, outlining an implementation plan by January. By the way, today is December the 10th. Well, that plan would be required to include voter registration rules and provisions to create separate bailouts for municipal races to safeguard federal and state elections. New York City would join a dozen communities across the U.S. that allow non-citizens to vote in local elections, including 11 towns in Maryland, two in Vermont, according to the Associated Press. Well, Jussie Smollett has been found guilty, casting a new light on past support from the president and vice president and other Democrats. The former Empire actor was found guilty yesterday of five charges of staging a hate crime and lying to police, raising questions about whether several high profile political figures would offer apologies or attempt to clarify their past public support of Smollett. In other developments, uh, Will Kane says Biden and Harris acted as accomplices to a race hoax by amplifying Jesse Smollett's claims. Well, Smollett's lawyer says they plan to appeal the guilty verdicts and are 100 percent confident of a reversal. The Senate confirmed Rachel Rollins, despite her non-prosecution policies. Critics say she's putting ideology before the people. Rollins has a lengthy do not prosecute list. Well, with Rachel Rollins' confirmation, Vice President Harris surpassed former Vice President Pence in Senate tiebreak votes. The University of Pennsylvania trans swimmer teammates spoke out as Leah Thomas smashed more records. While University of Pennsylvania transgender swimmer Leah Thomas, who spent three years at the Ivy League school swimming as a male, has been busy smashing female pool records. Friction has been building within the team, according to a Penn female swimmer who said she feared for her ability to find employment after graduating from college for sharing her honest opinion about a transgender teammate. For that reason, OutKick is uh, granting her anonymity to speak out. Pretty much everyone individually has spoken to our coaches about not liking this. Our coach, Mike Schnur, uh, just really likes winning. He's like most coaches. I think secretly everyone just knows it's the wrong thing to do, the female pin swimmer said during a phone interview. When the whole team is together, we have to be like, oh, my gosh, go Lisa. That's great. You're amazing. It's very fake, she added. Well, members of the team were first uh, alerted to the forthcoming change in 2019 when Thomas, who was uh, second team all Ivy League as a male during the 2018-2019 season, announced that he would be going through the transition that would allow him to compete as a woman under the NC2A's transgender policy. In other developments, the Pennsylvania transgender college swimmer dominated the women's competition, setting numerous records. A Democrat feminist slammed President Biden for conflating sex and gender. Rachel Levine has been sworn in as the first openly transgender four-star admiral. The Virginia School Board has approved a controversial transgender policy, and Texas is suing the Biden administration to block a transgender mandate on pronouns, dress codes, and restrooms. And finally, the LGBTQ community is appalled after a transgender person exposed male genitalia in front of young girls at an L.A. spa. But there's nothing to see here. No reason for concern. 
we're being told. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to continue rather our walk through the day's headlines. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're continuing our walk through some of the day's headlines, and we'll switch to the lighter side of the news coming up for the next couple of segments, so stay with us. Well, a Los Angeles smash-and-grab suspect knocked a pregnant woman down to the ground. A driver with a clown mask rammed a Vegas airport fence, calling himself the Chosen One while requesting an Area 51 flight. I hope he's getting the help he needs. Elon Musk says he's thinking of quitting his jobs. Costco sees sales boost both in stores and online. The White House deflected an inflation as Americans suffer surging prices. Uh, The CEO of a drilling company says President Biden isn't done worrying about gas prices just yet. President Biden signed an order for the federal government to reach net zero emissions in 2050. It's going to be very expensive. Well, Russia is warning the escalating crisis in Ukraine could lead to a repeat of the Cuban Missile Crisis. That warning came from the Deputy Foreign Ministry Minister, rather Sergei uh, Ryabkov. Uh, you know, it's really uh, it really could come to that. He said. Well, Interfax News Agency quoted him as saying, "If things continue as they are, it is entirely possible, by the logic of events, to suddenly wake up and see yourself in something similar." President Biden is looking to allow Russia to take a portion of Ukraine. Ed Morrissey points out, uh, will this be peace in our time? 2021 edition. Joe Biden plans to tell Ukraine to grant autonomy to its occupied uh, territory uh, as the uh, price of getting Vladimir Putin to deescalate the Associated Press reports. Jim Garrity points out this does not constitute standing up to Putin. If the recent report from the AP is accurate, Biden is willing to reward Putin with Ukrainian territory in order to avoid a conflict, ignoring the fact that he's just set up an incentive system for further aggression. California school bribed students to get vaccinated on campus without parental consent. A mother in the district is saying that her son unexpectedly came home from school with a COVID vaccine card. And when she inquired about it, he said that he was basically bribed with pizza and encouraged not to tell his parents about it. Hugh Hewitt points out the liability risks are astronomical and unless self-insured, the district should be canceled by the carrier. A police union leader in Los Angeles warns tourists to stay away from the city. Police one. Jamie McBride, head of the L.A. Police Protective League, warned tourists against visiting. We can't guarantee your safety, he said. It is really, really out of control. McBride told CBS Los Angeles, I said it to people before. It's like that movie Purge, you know. Instead of 24 hours to commit your crime, these people have 365 days to commit whatever they want. New York City passed a resolution that will allow non-citizens to vote for city leadership. It's not the first city to do so, but many are questioning whether or not it's the right thing to do, not only whether or not it's constitutional. And amidst the ongoing crime spree, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot blames business owners for not doing enough. From Fox 32, Lightfoot blamed retailers for not making safety a priority. I will tell you, she says, I'm disappointed that they're not doing more to take safety and make it a priority. For example, we still have retailers that don't institute plans like having security officers in their stores, making sure that they've got cameras that are actually operational, locking up their merchandise at night, chaining high-end bags. 
Uh, these uh, purses seem to be something that is attracting a lot of attention on these organized retail theft units, Lightfoot said. Newsweek points out the president and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association, Rob Carr, disputes these claims by Lightfoot. Speaking to Fox Business, he said the comments that retailers uh, need to do more are sadly misinformed. I think it ignores the fact that these retailers spent hundreds of millions of dollars every year on security. The Supreme Court could upend uh, state discrimination against faith-based schools. Wednesday's hearing of Carson versus Macon looked at whether religious schools are eligible for a tuition assistance program in Maine. The conservative justices were not sympathetic to Maine's effort to prohibit participation of genuinely religious schools. Justice Kavanaugh, I think, said, I think the lesson of some of the cases is discriminating against all religious versus secular is uh, itself a kind of discrimination that the court has said is odious to the Constitution, at least in certain contexts. Albert Moeller summarizes Maine's argument. The state of Maine is saying to the Supreme Court, now, wait a minute, we're not discriminating against Christian schools. We're not discriminating against religious schools. Those schools can be religious. They can be tied to a church. They can have compulsory chapel attendance. But there's the one thing that we can't do or they can't do. They can't seek to inculcate religious beliefs. Now, that's an absolutely ludicrous argument. Basically, it's saying that a religious school can participate unless it's, well, too religious. Well, after two years of covid disruptions, there's a surge in student misbehavior. I don't know about you, but I'm shocked. Many students left in person classes uh, as eighth graders and have returned as sophomores with no time to acclimate. Wall Street Journal says schools have seen an increase in both minor incidents like students talking in class and more serious issues such as fights and gun possession. In Dallas, disruptive classroom incidents have tripled this year compared with pre-pandemic levels, school officials say. Uh, Think about how the average American child has lived over the course of the pandemic. Socialization was halted for a year and has only continued behind plexiglass, masks and distance. The Surgeon General also warned that conditions like ADHD are on the rise and kids have been cooped up inside doing, well, distance learning, of course. Of course, they can't sit still when they've finally been allowed back inside a classroom with their peers. Well, after the announced diplomatic boycott, the U.S., the U.K., Australia and Canada, China is warning that nations will pay the price for their mistaken acts. The BBC reports that these countries will not send government representatives to the games because of concerns over China's human rights record. The United States, Britain, Australia have used the Olympic platform for political manipulation, Wang Wenbin says, a spokesman for the Chinese foreign ministry. China foreign ministry spokesman Zhao uh, Li Zhuan um, threatened if the U.S. side is bent on going its own way, China will take firm countermeasures. One wonders what those measures might be. Well, Enos Cantor Freedom, the center for the Boston Celtics, uh, wrote a piece about why he loves America in the Atlantic. He says, I was stranded. I had no family. I had no nationality. I had no home. That's when America welcomed me with open arms. This country has given me all the opportunities in the world. Friends, teammates, journalists, politicians, and act- activists became my new family, united in our struggle for justice, equality, human rights, and democracy. When I started the process of becoming an American citizen, I realized that life is bigger than basketball. I decided to dedicate the power and privilege of my platform to the causes that matter, to be a voice for the voiceless. I Enos Cantor Freedom and proud to be the citizen of the United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Well, what woke him up? 
I would say it all started back in 2013. There was a corrupt a corruption scandal happening in Turkey and President Erdogan and his family were involved. That was the first time I said something. I saw the power of even one tweet, he says. Well, inflation surged to a 39-year high as consumer prices soared higher. A Senate vote clears the way for Democrats to raise the debt ceiling on their own. And Project Veritas scored a legal win in a Biden diary case. A London court has ruled that the U.S. can extradite WikiLeaks founder and anti-American lawbreaker Julian Assange. And China and Nicaragua have reestablished ties in a blow to the U.S. and Taiwan. New York City won't surrender to BLM and rioters, incoming Mayor Eric Adams warns. And New York City Council passed an unlawful measure allowing non-citizens to vote. New York Attorney General Letitia James has suspended her campaign for governor. And a boat called Let's Go Brandon won a boat parade contest, but it later was disqualified for reasons I probably don't need to explain. A migrant truck crashed in Mexico, killing 54 And in need of a baby boom, China clamps down on vasectomies. A video of the Biden U.S. attorney Rachel Rollins threatening reporters in a tirade has resurfaced. And Twitter suspended a popular account tracking the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Well, on this day in history, 1817, Mississippi admits or rather is admitted to as the 20th state of the union. 1869, women are granted the right to vote in Wyoming, uh, Wyoming Territory. 1898, a treaty is signed in Paris, officially ending the Spanish-American War. 1906, President Theodore Roosevelt becomes the first American to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for helping to mediate an end to the Russo-Japanese War. 1931, Jane Addams becomes the first American woman to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. The co-recipient is Nicholas Murray Butler. 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. receives his Nobel Peace Prize in Oslo, saying he accepts it with an abiding faith in America and an audacious faith in the future of mankind. 1987, President Ronald Reagan and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev conclude three days of summit talks in Washington. 1994, Yasser Arafat, Shimon Peres, and Yitzhak Rabin receive the Nobel Prize, pledging to pursue their mission of hearing the anguished Middle East, rather healing the Middle East. 1995, the first group of U.S. Marines arrives in the Bosnian capital of Sarajevo to join NATO soldiers sent to enforce peace in former Yugoslavia. 1996, South African President Nelson Mandela signs the country's new constitution into law during a ceremony in Sharpville. In 2008, the House approves a plan, 237 to 170, to speed $14 billion in loans to Detroit's automakers. And finally, on this day in history, 2013, General Motors names product chief Mary Barra its new CEO, making her the first woman to run a U.S. car company. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a break. When we return, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. And James Blend will join me, so I hope you'll stay with us. Also in the second hour, we'll hear the Christian Outlook. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Joining me for the next couple of segments to take a look at the lighter side of the news, James Blend. Yo, James. It is my honor to be here on this beautiful Friday afternoon. Is it? I haven't really looked outside. Well, it's actually not worth looking outside at, but... (laughs) We'll just take your word for it. I'm kind of hoping that people are like... Well, if he thinks that's beautiful, then I'm going to go with it. Yeah, I'm going to go with it. Okay. All right. Well, you know, it's the holiday season, and you expect that people are in 
perhaps a little bit better mood? Well, not necessarily. There is violence everywhere. Take this story, for example. A California woman captured video of a bear cub brawling with an inflatable reindeer in her neighborhood while the baby Bruins mother watched from nearby. It spreaded it spread rather to the animal kingdom. Donna Haggart of Monrovia posted a video to Facebook showing the bear cub wrestling with the giant inflatable Christmas decoration in a neighbor's front yard. I looked up and there it was jumping on the reindeer, she says. I was laughing to myself out in the street. Well, she uh, is said the mother and uh, cub are frequent visitors to their neighborhood. We see those two around all the time. They're trouble. Um, the bears often come down from nearby um San Gabriel uh, Mountains. She said the animal once broke into her home, which isn't really a laughing matter. Though the wind uh, through the window one time, she says there are scratches on the walls, and one got up to uh, got up on the bed, and there were paw prints there as well. So that's a little bit frightening, but a bear cub duking it out with an inflatable reindeer. There's got to be something wrong with that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, that just no, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> it's just not right. Not on any possible level. Well, humans aren't the only uh, species packing on the pounds during the pandemic. Some squirrels are letting themselves go too. Now it may be surprising, but many squirrels are eating well this fall, particularly in New England. But one portly, uh, portly squirrel is so big it earned the nickname Fatty McFatterson. Most squirrels sprint or scoot. This one lumbers and waddles uh, after supplementing nature's bounty this fall by helping himself to seeds that fall on the ground from bird seed feeders. Uh, He's clearly the alpha of the yard, says uh, the homeowner, speaking to the Associated Press. You think of them as scampering around. He's uh, baboom, baboom, apparently can't move very quickly. It turns out that many pint-sized rodents aren't so pint-sized as they gorge On abundant um, beech nuts, hazelnuts, acorns, a bumper crop of mushrooms this fall, Um, and that's um, contributed to the problem. Many species of wildlife can pack on some extra pounds, but their thick fur coat may uh, also make make them appear larger in the winter than they actually are. That's my excuse. It's my thick coat or sweater or something that makes me appear larger than I actually am. Unlike many other mammals, squirrels don't hibernate, though they do spend a fair amount of time in their nests in colder weather. So that makes them, what, a couch acorn instead of a couch potato? Yeah, that might be it. Couch birdseed? I mean, you know, it, I, we, we, nowadays I think uh, the, the couch potatoes are usually jokingly referred to as sloth-like, but, uh, you know, it's possible to confuse a squirrel and a sloth, I suppose, from a distance. So that might not be the best comparison overall. Yeah, you'd have to be have pretty I mean, poor pretty, eyesight to confuse. Pretty poor eyesight, but with how big that squirrel is, increases the odds, just saying. Yeah, well, and he moves about the same speed, apparently, yep. as a sloth. Well, Quebec has unlocked the world's only maple syrup strategic reserve to keep pancake lovers happy. They have a strategic reserve of maple syrup. This is in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Maple syrup producers in the Canadian province of Quebec are releasing more than half of the world's only strategic reserve of the sweet topping to keep up with soaring demand, avoiding a sticky situation for pancake lovers. So I guess uh, much like the squirrel, we're indulging in more pancakes that requires more syrup. And Quebec went into their strategic reserve, making sure we'll get what we're looking for. 
I mean, I, th- I think that for me, the, the, the two things that come to mind here are I didn't know any syrups out there really still used maple syrup in them. You know, the real stuff you yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's a, it's always, you know, flavored corn syrup, essentially. Um, the other side of it is if there is a strategic reserve of maple <laughs> syrup in Canada, I, I have to ask, and, and if we have any uh, uh, any Canadian listeners that can confirm or deny this for me, feel free to email me here at the station. Um, is there a strategic reserve of poutine? And if so, where can I find it? Ah, I've never had poutine. I don't uh, even like the, the sound of it. It's It actually is not... Um, Nothing weird. It's not too weird. It's French fries mm-hmm. covered in gravy and cheese curds. You had me with gravy, but cheese curds. It's, it works. It's kind of like cottage cheese, isn't it? No, it's more of a melty cheese. More of a you know standard kind of like if you had spreaded, shrinkled, you know, sprinkled, shredded cheese on it. <laughs> shrinkled. Shrinkled. <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't poutine. It, it's poutine. It's it's quite. Quite delicious. It's, it's one of the things that when I go to Canada, I, I always source it out at least once. Well, it's very popular, so yes. it, there must be something to it. But yeah, so if anybody knows the location of the strategic poutine reserve, if you could quietly email that to me, I, I, I will be investigating that on a future vacation. Well, there you go. Botox. Now, women have been using it, misusing and abusing it for quite some time, but this one takes the cake. There's actually a camel beauty contest, and it was rocked this year by a Botox scandal. Now, you might wonder, are we talking about the handlers with Botox? No, we're talking about the camels. Well, this year, authorities discovered dozens of breeders had injected their camels' heads and lips with Botox to make them bigger. We're talking about Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Saudi authorities have conducted their biggest ever crackdown on camel beauty contestants. Now, have you ever seen a camel? The two words don't necessarily go. I mean, if you're another camel, then maybe so. But um, a camel beauty contest where the contestants received Botox injections and other artificial touch-ups. The state-run Saudi press agency reported on Wednesday with over 40 camels disqualified from the annual pageant. Now, my guess is they're not requesting Botox. It's just being done to them. Well, Saudi Arabia's popular king, um, the Camel Festival, which uh, kicked off earlier this month, invites the breeders of the most beautiful camels to compete for some $66 million in prize money. Botox injections, face lifts, and other cosmetic alterations to make the camels more attractive are strictly prohibited. Somebody didn't get the memo. Jurors decided the winner based on the shape of the camel's heads, necks, humps, dress, and posture. You know, Miss America is coming up later this month. Well, judges at the um, month-long festival in the desert northeast of the Saudi Arabian capital, capital rather, of Riyadh, are escalating their um, clampdown on artificially enhanced camels, the official news agency reported, using specialized and advanced technology to detect tampering. Well, this year, authorities discovered dozens of breeders had stretched out the lips and noses of their camels, used hormones to boost their chest muscles, injected camels' heads and lips with Botox to make them bigger, inflated body parts with rubber bands, and used fillers to relax their faces. 
The club is keen to halt all acts of tampering and deception in the beautification of camels, the SBA reports, uh, adding organizers would impose strict penalties on manipulators. Well, the camel beauty contest is at the heart of the massive carnival, which also features camel races, sales and other festivities, typically showcasing thousands of um, dromedaries. The extravaganza seeks to preserve the camel's role in the kingdom, uh, their Bedouin tradition and heritage, even as the oil rich country plows ahead with modernizing mega projects. So both exist in the same country. Camel breeding is a multi-million dollar industry and similar events take place all across the region, but this one is the big one. And apparently over 40 camels were disqualified from the annual pageant. How humiliating for the camels. The, the shame that they will bring to their family and kin for this moment, you know, with all the Botox. I mean, I know the competition's stiff, but you're not supposed to take that literally. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those times where, you know, I don't know specifically what they think of this, but this might be one of those rare times where I go, you know, PETA may be right about this one. That's a, that's a little cruel. <laughs> Putting uh, all sorts of Pillars. substances into a a uh, a camel for the sake of a beauty contest. That's probably that they can't consent to. That, that does seem probably a bit far. Might be beyond the pale, as they a say. A little bit. Well, the University of Central Missouri parade featured 50 people riding mules down a road set a Guinness World Record, according to the school. University of Central Missouri parade featuring 50 people on 50 mules riding down the street. Well, the university said the mules participated in a parade celebrating the 150th anniversary of the school and officials submitted videos, photos and other evidence from the event to Guinness for review. I mean, doing the thing itself wasn't enough. They need to be acknowledged. Well, UCM officials said they received word on Wednesday, the 23rd of October. The parade officially broke the world record for largest ridden parade of mules. We are beyond thrilled to be named as the record holder for the largest ridden parade of mules. Associate Vice President for the UCM Alumni Foundation and one of the event's organizers said in the school's announcement. The University of Central Missouri was founded in 1871, adopted the mule as its official mascot in 1922, hence the parade. Uh, When we first announced that we were going to try to uh, do this in UCM's 150th year, the number one question we were asked was, why? And the answer is, if anyone were to set a record for a parade of mules, it should be UCM at the homecoming parade. And that's precisely what they did. This accomplishment is um, demonstrative of who we are as a university. Give that a thought for a moment. A mule parade is demonstrative of who we are as a university, a proud mule strong institution that thrives with the community's involvement and support. So there you have it. We don't have a mascot here, do we, James? Shouldn't we have a mascot of some kind? I've always wondered so, but I I have to say in all my years in radio, uh, I've only ever worked at one radio station that had a mascot. What was the mascot? It was a bear. A bear. It was a bear, and it uh, was a bear because that was the costume they could afford. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we won't get one because you have to buy a costume. And luckily, I was not there long enough for my number to come up and be forced to wear one at a station event. You might recall, it's been some years ago, it was an event in Vancouver where you donned a bee outfit. That's true. Complete with the, they're not 
antlers, antenna, whatever they are. The head antenna, of a bee. I think is yeah. Yeah, you had the tight, you had the whole thing. I I wouldn't mind being the KPDQBs if you would wear the uniform again. The 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 one thing we used to have is we used to have a, a client that was a pickle company, and whenever there was a big event, they would send out the pickle suit. I never had to wear it, but <laughs> I know several of our staff brethren who did <laughs> the kpdq pickles so yeah so that no. that's something as well but uh, we need to take a break i suppose yeah i suppose hey you're listening to the georgine rice show we're taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news we'll be back to continue and then in the second hour of the program the christian outlook we'll be back you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq we're back. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news. We mean me and James Blend. Well, a Maine resort said a total of 232 people donned Santa Claus costumes and took to the slopes on skis and snowboards to raise money for a local nonprofit. The Sunday River Resort in Newry said the 21st annual Santa Sunday event featured 232 Santas wearing red hats, red coats, white beards, ringing sleigh bells, and taking on the slopes of the resort's Broadway Trail. The event raised about $5,000 for the River Fund uh, Maine, a nonprofit that aims to create a bright economic future for the community by investing in education of the area's youth and by harnessing the recreational assets of the region, end quote, the resort says. Well, the skiing Santas each made $20 donations to participate in the event, and the resort provided day-long lift tickets for all participants as well as extra tickets for return visits. So they raised $5,000. Well, 232 skiing Santas. Now, have you ever skied? Are you a skier? No, I, I value my bones too much. Yeah, I, I think I downhill skied once. I was a, an athlete at University of Oregon, so I didn't really want to do anything risky. I, I did a lot of um, cross-country skiing, which seemed a little safer, but not really a ski fan. For one thing, I don't like being cold. As you know, I have a space heater on 24-7 when I'm sitting at my desk. And that includes summer people. That includes the summer. Yeah. It does. I confess. You know, one of the uh, things that we do around Christmas time is we bring out the poinsettia. I've actually been in a country, I think it was Vietnam, where they just grew wild. It was beautiful to see them grow in their natural habitat. But poinsettias are a bit of a fickle flower. So I wanted to just share a little bit. Poinsettia Care 101. The plant experts um, offered some tips for those who enjoy poinsettias every year. My mom, who, by the way, will be 91 on Monday. We're having a special birthday Christmas tea for her tomorrow, but she'll be 91 on Monday. Um, she always gets poinsettia. She loves the flowers and taking care of them before they you know, wither and look awful is kind of a challenge. Well, poinsettias have been a Christmas staple in the U.S. for nearly 200 years. But that doesn't mean everyone knows how to take care of these tropical flowers. It's estimated that roughly 35 million potted poinsettias are sold in the U.S. every year. Now, some are content with keeping the iconic red flower for only a few weeks each holiday season. Others have mastered keeping the poinsettia alive long enough for it to rebloom next year. Now, we've never done that. We've never been able to. But if you're aspiring to be a poinsettia plant parent, there are a few things you, uh, you need to know. Unlike cut flowers, house plants don't have an expiration date, which is one of the many reasons we love them. Poinsettias prefer medium to bright, indirect light. Keep them on a windowsill to give them the most amount of daylight possible, especially during the winter when the sun sets earlier. And if your home lacks natural light, you can try placing your plant 
uh, directly under a fluorescent lamp or plant grow light during the day. Now, since poinsettias are native to Mexico and Central America, the plant thrives in warm climates. Be mindful of the temperature indoors. Don't place your poinsettia near any hot or cold draft that could come from heaters or cracked windows. They prefer temperatures 65 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Unless you live in southern Florida, don't plan to uh, place your plants outside until at least the spring. And like other tropical plants, healthy poinsettias grow in soil that's moist to the touch, so that's too dry or wet uh, might result in a shortened lifespan. So don't overwater the thing. So there you have a poinsettia tutorial. I'm pretty sure you're going to run out and buy one, James. You know, um, my my wife is the uh, is a good human being. She's a decent human being. She is a caring human being. She kills plants, right? She kills plants serially. <laughs> so it, it it's no, it's a no for me. I like growing at Christmas time. I like growing amaryllis and um, the other one that they look like uh, daffodils, but they're, it's a different name. See, I have a weird balance now because I have, if I brought a plant into the house, my wife would always forget to water it and my daughter would overwater it. So, you know, it, it it's got no shot. It's yeah. not no plant. And if you, you have a hand? plant and you're looking for a home and you see my house... Keep moving for the plant's sake, please. <laughs> so, how about you? Are you? I like able plants. To keep a plant? I can keep a plant, absolutely. But uh, you know, under those circumstances, I, I you know, I, I, it's for the best for the plant. Okay, got it. No plant for James this Christmas. Steve Williams, the man with the dream of turning childhood horseplay into a professional combat sport, delivered all the drama and hand-to-hand combat without the. Uh, gore of mixed martial arts or boxing it's not something where you sit there and laugh and feathers are flying but they have pillow fighting it's uh, entering the combat sports arena he says it's serious it's hardcore swinging with specialized pillows although the male and female competitors in the event uh, that takes place in january mostly hail from cutthroat worlds of MMA and boxing, children will still sleep soundly after seeing the bouts. The only difference between their fights and MMA fighting is that nobody gets hurt. The fighters don't like to get hurt, and there's a lot of people who don't want to see uh, them hurt either. They want to see good competition. They just want to have some fun without the violence. Well, the fact that so many people grew up bashing their siblings, friends, and parents with pillows makes the sport relatable, which he hopes will help uh, tap into a new audience. Um, you can call it an alternative sport, but we think it's going to have mainstream appeal. Think about how they uh, mixed country music with rap music and brought these diverse audiences together. That's what we're doing, and we hope it brings a different kind of viewer. Okay, do you want to see a group of adults, two at a time, pillow fighting? I don't know. I'm not. I'm sort of missing the appeal. The three round bouts will be available to view on sports streaming platform Fight F I T E if you're interested, or you might just want to engage in your own pillow fight. I'm I'm missing the appeal, but again, that's just me. Well, a 15 year old boy is set to become the youngest graduate in the history of University of Nevada, Las Vegas, when he is presented with his fifth degree next week. 15 year old. Fifth degree. Jack Rico, 15, is scheduled to graduate with a bachelor's degree, and officials said the accomplishment will make him the youngest graduate in the history of the school. Rico previously earned four associate degrees in two years from California's Fullerton College. 
He graduated from Fullerton at 13, becoming that school's youngest ever graduate. Rico said he uh, struck out to find his own path to education after failing the third grade. So there's still hope. Uh, No one child is the same in that uh, some kids thrive in a public school setting. Others thrive in a homeschool setting. And I feel like it should be the kid's choice. Uh, They should look into what's best for them and their education. Well, he's now 15 and um, going to walk to receive a bachelor's degree. Pretty impressive for a kid that young. Wow. Well, we are out of time. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. When we return, the Christian Outlook. Stick around. There's some great conversation to listen in on. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.